to another Measured Science podcast presented by LECO. I'm your host, Andrew Story, and today's podcast is co-hosted by Mason Marsh, LECO's organic product manager. Uh, we're joined today by Dr. Jason Struble of Convoy of Hope. Dr. Struble's career began as a researcher at Washington State University, where he earned his PhD in, in agriculture while working for the USDA ARS. His research has spanned many areas of modern agriculture, but much of his best-known work has focused on the relationship between soil and fertilizer. He currently is a professor at Evangel University. He's the senior director at the Center for Agriculture and Food Security for Convoy of Hope, and he's an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God. LICO is partnering with the Convoy of Hope to help expand their analytical capabilities to research global agriculture best practices and extend the goals of their mission to compassionately serve people who are impoverished, hungry, or hurting. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, we're really happy to have you here at LECO, seeing all the things that we have going on here. I know we're really excited about the partnership that uh, we're starting up with you and Convoy of Hope. Um, and so as part of that, we wanted to have a little conversation here with you on, on the podcast. Um, a lot of customers and uh, employees listen, so it's, it's a good way to kind of get out the word about um, what we're doing uh, with you and with Convoy of Hope. So, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I guess the first thing is, is just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and, and maybe how um, your background in ministry led to your interest in agricultural sciences. Yeah. So, I grew up in Washington State, and hit Seattle and go right to the Canadian border, and then turn around. And when you think of Washington, you think of specialty crops, but you think of cherries. All of those are grown on the eastern side of the state. My grandfather was the only guy who was growing anything on the western side of the state. And from a young age, I really fell in love with the soil. I fell in love with the orchard. But I had a, just a deep faith and wanted to bring hope to people physically and spiritually. And... I just couldn't separate those. And so over the years, my love for science and my faith really intertwined into, if you really want to bring hope to people, you need to be able to feed them. And that's really where it moved from a ministry background into getting formalized degrees all the way up to a PhD in soil science so that you feed the soil, you feed the world. And so uh, tell us a little bit about the research that you've done uh, along those lines. Yeah, um, formally on the academic side, my master's was a generalized agriculture degree, but really focusing on kind of a an agricultural education degree. But we looked at rotating chickens in a in a confined pasture, and using their manure as a way of um, really soil reclamation, even desert reclamation. Because as we look at some of the w things around the world, um, desert encroachment is a you know a large issue well how do you reclaim that desert land and we were looking at chickens and then on the phd side really focused on carbon environment and trace gas so we were using um we were looking at trace gas and manure analysis you know coming off of you know n2o and methane co2 how much is really coming off of manure and that application to the field 
One of the members on my committee, Jeff Smith, was part of the International Panel on Climate Change. We also did a lot of research on biochar. And so specifically, back when carbon sequestration and carbon was, and what can we do in green energy back in you know, 2007, 2008, all the way up to um, 11, what could we do to put carbon back in the soil and really looking at biochar and specifically it was my um, PhD working with my advisor Hal Collins on how would you how can you take manure from a dairy cow put it through an anaerobic digestion process which is also a green energy component and we took all of the leftover byproducts that hadn't been eaten by the microbes filtered all of the rest of the um, the grass out made it into a grass basically a pellet and then made that into biochar and put that back into the soil and in the dairy lagoon to sequester phosphorus. So how could we look at the carbon component, but also how could we use this really this charcoal or biochar to sequester phosphorus as a, to be able to take that off site? Because in the dairy industry, even in the, especially in Washington state, when you were using good farm practices and putting a lot of manure back onto the field generation after generation, we had really extreme high phosphorus levels in the soil and it became a limiting factor for our dairies that were landlocked. So how do you get that phosphorus off? So um, biochar, uh, worked with alfalfa and sorghum and trace gas and carbon sequestration as part of my PhD research. And, and I, I take it some of that uh, work has led to some of your nicknames that uh, that I've seen over the... Uh, yeah, so they call me um, Dr. Dirt, but they also at times wanted to call me other names because um, <laughs> my joke is that out of all the researchers at WSU, at Washington State at the time, I spread roughly 30,000 gallons of liquid cow manure with a garden hose to do the research that we were dealing with either on the trace gases or with the biochar. And I think I still am the only person who paid a large amount of money to ship 5,000 gallons of liquid manure from the east, from the west side of Washington to the west, mm -hmm. to the, from the west to the east to be able to maintain our, uh, our integrity of experimental design and using the same material. <laughs> So you probably had to have your nose all plugged up for that uh, activity then, huh? Um, I was known to stink up the place, and there was manure everywhere any time that I was doing my experiments. Great, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about Convoy of Hope uh, and, and how your uh, mich mission works inside of the larger Convoy mission. Yeah. So, you know, there's very few places that we that I found where you could go step into the nonprofit world as a really as a soil scientist. And so when we talk about Convoy, Convoy is an international nonprofit that is faith based. And we really focus on disaster response and working within communities on, um, in the United States on food security and helping connect all the dots to all the governmental agencies and the faith based community to serve the, um, the underserved. And then internationally, we work with really community development, which is children's feeding. So we'll feed um, just shy of 500,000 children a day during the school year in well over two dozen countries and making sure that there's a list of protocols that we're not just giving food, but it's the right food and right calories and deworming and those pieces. 
We'll also work with women's empowerment, and that can be working with a mom who is having their first child and good health and nutrition, but also to the scale of how do you work with moms to create their businesses and be entrepreneurial in spirit, to be able to take women who have made less than $2 a day to I've seen women make um, astronomical amounts of money US-wise because they've started their own restaurants, they've started their own businesses, and they went from you know prostitution to having you know 15 to 16 employees in their restaurant and in their business because they've been able to diversify. And then also, from all of that, creating a sustainability plan that when we go into a community and work with children's and children and moms and, and men and that community, how do we work ourselves out of a job so that we've created community ownership and can step out of the way from a sustainability standpoint so that that community that needed help gets the help that they need that, you know, that's appropriate and we can back away. And agriculture is that piece. So how do you feed kids and families and communities long-term? You increase their agricultural infrastructure. You put education in their hands. You help them with production. You help them with diversification. And that's when I was able to come to Convoy to help really design and architect their large-term agriculture program to where it was a pilot and to now we've got multiple agricultural officers in countries. We've got an agricultural specialist at our headquarter that is coaching every day, all the time, working with our ag officers and creating an extension network that allows us to be able to take the science to the people so that they can become sustainable and ultimately we get to walk away and maybe somebody will remember Convoy's name and maybe they won't. And we're gonna be okay with that because in the end, we're really wanting to bring hope spiritually and physically to people. And ag, man, you gotta, you gotta eat. <laughs> and it, so it's just right there. And it's so varied around the world too. I'd imagine those different agricultural officers in different countries mm -hmm. with very different terrain. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of very different responsibilities than uh, just given you know, air, an air, arid conditions or flooding conditions, uh, I mean. That and then temperature and everything else. So. It is. So one of the things we really do purpose is that in when we go into those communities and we've set up shop, we really do hire local from higher local, you know, from local expertise mm -hmm. because they do. They know all the different terrain. They know the seed. They know the varieties. They know the soil type. They know the pests that are coming in that we don't have to deal with. And then on my end, from the Center for Agriculture and Food Security, we get to be the expertise that we know that there is fundamental science that we need to be able to deliver on integrated pest management, on carbon and fertility and production, um, in processing, in fertilization. We can give the general sciences and then build those resources to help those ag officers with their specialties in the areas that they're in. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the center that, that you guys are developing there, the Center for Agricultural and uh, Food Security? Yeah, one of the things that we have noticed around around the world, and even as we're talking to our partners here in the U.S., there is a, a desperate need to be able to demonstrate and resource local farmers and the emerging farmer in the emerging market at that third to eighth grade level, or as some would say, almost extension back in the 50s and 60s, that first generation. And so that center is really helping us to be able to create resources for our global network, as well as the global network of other partners that we work with, with appropriate technology, to be able to 
test out products before farmers who are on the subsistence level try something new, we can demonstrate it. We can show it in the field. We can show it in a lab and we can create video resources for them written so that they can they can see it, touch it, feel it without having to take the front side risk. So within the center, we have um, we're right now we're on a three to four year plan for um, for the full growth development. But we'll have about 25,000 square feet under greenhouses to be able to mimic climates around the world, to be able to control our conditions for growth, integrated pest wow. management. Um, we'll have an egg mechanics building and an open classroom so that we can demonstrate and teach appropriate technology, as well as a small lab to be able to do the things analytically to, you know, that LECO expertise, you know, the expertise of LECO and their instrumentation to be able to implement, hey, this is the kind of the, the compost or this is the organic method we want to do. We can prove it. We can touch it in the field and we can create those resources for them. We'll also then have um, an animal barn to work with the animal husbandry that our farmers are working with all around the world, allow us to be able to create the videos on how to breed, how to vaccinate, how to food process and we can do it on our end and then some perennial fruits and then acres of experimental demonstration. So we're really just kind of, we're as we're building the extension system around the world, we're creating that opportunity to be able to build and resource and expertise on that applied side and fill that gap between really the D1 school and that emerging farmer. Wow. It sounds like a, a lot that's going on there. It a is a lot. Teaching, it's ambitious, learning. but it's um, teaching, yeah. it's learning. Yeah. Because from an agricultural standpoint, we all need to eat. We all know we need, we've got degraded soils that are increasingly being more degraded around the world. We need to increase increase food production, do it in a more sustainable way. And as the new as new farmers and new emerging markets are coming out, we need to be able to demonstrate it, teach it, resource it. And because of our connections around the world, we really have a built-in extension network where we can disseminate the information on what is good science, what's good practice, and let them shape us as we shape them. I was uh, I was thinking, like, uh, do you have a, a, a specific uh, example of maybe something recent um, that you know that Convoy is uh, you know through their agricultural program had a success story that you'd like to share? Yeah, there's there's two that always come to mind. And one of them, I think it really shows convoy in our diversity and in our methodology. But we have a list of countries that we know have need and have relationships with, and we know that we want to be able to, to work with. And a lot of times, because of our disaster response, we have the opportunity to go into a community at its, worth, at its worst, to be able to help them recover, rebuild, and we went into Nepal after the Nepali earthquake, worked with a community that had been really left out from all the other NGOs and because they were miles and miles and hours away from Kathmandu. But our disaster response team was able to go in, help them on the disaster side, but then also notice that within the school system, their children were malnutritioned, even though they were growing domesticated rice and corn for generations. And so we were able to go and um, start good extension, do demonstration, start feeding in the school, start educating on health and nutrition to a point where now, um, just last year, there is no, that community of Kimtung, it is not a budget item on our, um, within our international program. They have increased their gross domestic product. Um, 
we introduced crop verif- you know crop diversity high tunnels tomato <clears throat> production coffee tea they introduced dairy goats versus water buffalo and they introduced better gen- genetic lines of goat you know meat and so everything just kind of came up and they basically said we don't need you anymore we're always going to be an asset but from a community standpoint the government's looked at them as an example of what you can do when you empower the local community from an agricultural standpoint and we've gone from a disaster to a community's leadership and said yeah we need you to kind of help us when we need it from an you know expertise standpoint but no we don't have any budget pieces that are there anymore and you know the school is working with the system so that's really i love that example and then even just recently one of our communities in burkina um we were able to because of our agricultural expertise working with a guy named david vanderpool our ag specialist working with our ag officer in burkina they increased their maize production significantly well with all the supply chain pieces we really lost kind of some of our gift of kind that was coming in and for this last part of the school season they were able to feed the school with the main staples from their corn off of the agricultural production that was coming out of the farmers that we were able to help them with their extension. So even though we had a drop in supply chain, the farmers in the area had increased their production enough that they were able to help feed those kids. And to me, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. All right, Uh, Jason, the next next piece that I was thinking uh, about speaking with you on um, is basically, you know, um, so, so Lico's, you know, agreed or, in the collaboration with Convoy of Hope, and and historically, uh, the companies, um, you know, basically um, given to Convoy of Hope, you know, in different ways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some financial contributions, obviously, and and the employees have, uh, you know, offered their times to make kits, um, disaster relief related things, and. Um, you know this uh, this collaboration that we're starting. You know this year really is expanding upon that into um, a realm that is as you know will benefit you know the the greater good in a lot of different ways, um, and primarily around just agriculture um, with the donation of equipment for uh, carbon nitrogen determination with the CNA twenty eight uh, moisture uh, determination with the TGM. Um, to support research and efforts um, moving towards convoy missions, um, like, would you uh, you know expand a little bit about uh, like what what's your vision on on the use of that equipment, and, you know, moving forward in time, kind of thing? Yeah, you know, I'm a scientist, and so I want to to push the envelope. I want to learn, but. You can't do good education. You can't build good programs, especially as you're looking at, you know, what are new methods for fertilization? What are, you know, even as we look at food products, what are the protein contents? What are the moisture contents? What can we do to increase soil organic carbon? What can we do on the compost ratios? What what things are out there around the world that we can put back in the soil to increase soil health? In order to do those things and to do those things well, it starts with really good analysis and precise instrumentation. Because if I don't have good analysis, then even though I wanna be applied, I can't give my farmers around the world the best answers possible. And so when we look at carbon and nitrogen and protein and moisture, 
we want to be able to try things. We want to be able to hear something from a farmer in East Africa who says, I've heard this works or these are the products that I have. Here's my soil issues. We can then be able to bring that back, replicate it, and get really good data to give them really good answers. So by getting good data in the here at home at the Center for Ag and to be able to um, experiment and push the envelope on some application pieces, but also ground truth some things, I can help feed families around the world. And it starts with good instrumentation. So we look at um, being able to fill in the basic gaps of education and what is carbon, what is nitrogen, but then also, okay, here's how you move the envelope with the products that you have or the products that we have, or five, six years from now, here's what we've been doing out in the field at Convoy at the Center for Agriculture. Here's what we've been doing organically. Here's what we've been doing with you know synthetic fertilizers. We can back this up. It's peer reviewed. And you know I dream of the day when you know even out of the Center for Ag in partnership with Good Analytics, we've been able to push the envelope and feed more people around the world with something maybe somebody didn't ever think of before. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, thinking about you know something that you know, people maybe haven't thought of yet, or um, you know, what what area of research you know currently right now do you do you you know in your opinion has you know the biggest um, opportunity for you know for utilization of Convoy is for Convoy to utilize this research area. Um, like, is there something in particular that uh, you know that that you see in the future that you, that has the possibility of you know moving the needle per se as far as you know practical application in the field. I think that the you know as everybody's kind of refocusing on carbon, I think that there is some great potential there to things that may that will be novel, but because of our global connection and what we're doing globally, I think will be extremely novel to the scientific community because of the different aspects of what we can do around the world. I think that's a piece um, in some of our conversations, even in collaboration. I think there's a lot of movement that be can that can be made on protein, on soluble protein versus avail you know available protein versus total protein. What does that look like, and what that can do for even you know mixed rations for animals, and what plants can we grow that increase that protein content? How what do those things look like? Yeah. I think that the possibilities are endless when you have really good instrumentation like Lico makes. And I'm at a spot now and we're at a spot now where we get to sit back and probably ask answer that question a year from now because we know, okay, this is, what, this is the new tools that we have in our toolbox. And this is where we can dream and start to really experiment. Yeah. But I think that the carbon pieces and will really be kind of, um, I think it's gonna be some of our bread and butter, especially as we're talking about how do you increase soil fertility and productive and productivity in, in areas that have lost their fertility and productivity to overall you know, increase the soil health. I think yeah. that really is where we're gonna be. Yeah, interesting. I think there's always an interesting thing with uh, the developing world where it's an opportunity for innovation too, yeah. not just uh, trying to take technologies that have existed for a long time in other parts of the world and bring them there. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's some, something that you're kind of alluding to there with uh, the carbon yeah. in particular. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's the 
it's the bringing the appropriate technology into those communities and help to elevate them with their education and their tools. Uh, so Jason, um, you know, in addition to the collaborative research that we've already, you know, uh, spoken about and, and really started to plan, um, you know, you know, could you expa expand upon, um, you know, the plan to use students um, as your role as a professor um, in, in this uh, collaboration and, and research moving forward? Yeah, you know, Convoy, we, we teach and we teach farmers, but also um, we have the opportunity because of my background and some of my other colleagues where we are professors and or whether full-time or adjunct or kind of a weird combination. But um, I've got partnerships with Missouri State, Washington State and Evangel University. And so as part of this collaboration, we're going to be installing the um, the equipment at Evangel in, you know, at our science lab where really we've got Sigma Zeta students who are part of the honor um, science honor society that are doing undergrad research and to being able to introduce them to cutting edge analytical equipment, which then equips them and prepares them for the workforce and be able to open their eyes to what is possible on really good analytics and also them from an experimental design, working in the field, working in the lab, it prepares them, gives them good, um, really good tools to be able to research, to be able to see the pitfalls of research and what is good experimental design. And that also helps us because when you're you know utilizing students, it allows us to mentor them, but at the same time, they're paying tuition. And so we will actually be taking some of these things that we are looking at for carbon and proteins We'll actually be instituting them in the classroom in both um, this semester and just a couple of weeks, and though those students will be part of this collaborative piece. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent opportunity. I think uh, you know not only for the educational piece for the students moving forward, but like um, have an opportunity for them to to interact with uh, you know equipment essentially and instrumentation in a laboratory uh, that they may not have uh, had the opportunity uh, prior. Uh, yep. Yeah, so it's a great piece, really, of uh, the collaboration. Yeah, so we're grateful that, you know, LECO's even willing to work with students because not everybody is willing to take a risk on an undergrad, but uh, but we are, and, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, so there's one question that I like to ask everybody that comes in here, and that is, what is the most interesting sample you've ever worked with? Um... When I was working for Hal Collins at ARS, um, obviously I have had manure from Holsteins and Jersey. Um, so I've had all kinds of manure, but I remember one day we got a sample of, it was like this shrimp byproduct that just, it smelt and it was nasty and it'd been sitting for a while, and in the end, they wanted to be able to do the analysis on the CNN because they wanted to look at it from an organic fertilizer standpoint. But that was this weird concoction of shrimp stuff that we got in that no one really wanted to touch, but <laughs> but we did, and um, and we worked with it. So that was probably one of the the most bizarre samples that we ever got. Um, but that and not many people have had manure of all kinds of cows um, in their hands, sprayed on their hands, in their mouths or trying to analyze it. I know whenever we would send the manure samples to um, 
the, the soils lab, um, the guy on the phone would call me and he's like, I got your manure. And like some days it'd be broken and some days it'd be like, so you need more manure because it didn't, it got lost in shipment. <laughs> so on their end, they didn't like receiving what I sent. But on our end, it was that weird shrimp concoction. There you go. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. I've, I've loved learning more about uh, what you're doing at Convoy of Hope and uh, with you know addressing the food security needs of people around the world. Um, and uh, we look forward to continuing uh, collaboration uh, here at LICO, Mason. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, hope, you know, a long, a, a long collaboration ahead. Let's say. <laughs> yeah, and I'm you know I'm grateful to be here. And as a scientist, I'm just thankful that there are organizations who really specialize in high-end analytical equipment. Because even though when we're dealing with you know a you know a number that's point zero 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 one, all the applications that it touches really does feed families around the world. And Leco feeds people around the world because of the analytical equipment that it has and your footprint although may not always be seen in the application side, there isn't anything. There isn't anything that we touch on a regular basis that probably hasn't come through a LECO piece of equipment. And I think that that's, that's amazing. And that's an expertise that as a scientist who does work with families, I greatly appreciate. Well, thank you very much for, for coming. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in, in more in the future. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Dr. Jason Struble from Convoy of Hope. As always, I want to encourage listeners to submit ideas for future podcasts. And feel free to go back and listen to podcasts uh, from earlier in the Measured Science series. If you'd like to donate to Convoy of Hope, visit convoyofhope.org. Beyond agriculture, they meet people in areas of global crisis, like the current situation where they're helping to feed refugee women and children fleeing Ukraine. Also, more information is going to be present in the show.